This is the Design Goggles podcast on BNV Radio. Checking out architecture and design is a pretty good way to keep track of how the world changes. Designers have a unique way of looking at cities, and Seattle is a city that's changing fast. More people are moving here every day, and understanding what's different and what's next has never been more important. So, put on your design goggles and join us in checking out the view. I'm Charles. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood, and I've been a Seattleite for two years. And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the Old Ballard neighborhood, and I grew up here in Seattle. This week's show is titled The City to the Suburbs. Since the creation of the modern American suburb in the 1950s, the relationship between the urban center to the suburban sprawl has been complex to say the least. Economics, lifestyle, and commute time, among many other factors, weigh in on the decision for people to move out to the suburbs or back into the city. In the Pacific Northwest, the new explosion of density in the city center has created a stalemate of sorts as a generation defined by urban values are being pushed out to the suburbs. They are seeking out affordable housing and more space with the closest possible proximity to downtown. What effect will this exodus have on Seattle's suburbs specifically? In addition, what will define an area as a suburb? Will it be the residents themselves, the building types, or something else entirely? To help us answer that question and more, we are joined by Todd Martell, an architect here at Board & Vellum. Todd, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hi, Todd. The first thing we ask every single show is how long you have been in Seattle and what neighborhood do you live in? Well, I am quickly approaching seven years here in Seattle. um, And right now I live in North Capitol Hill. Nice. North, whereabouts? What's the closest landmark to where you are? Uh, It'd be like Roy Street Coffee. Nice. So, yeah, north end of Broadway. Now, so seven years ago, where where did you come from when you first moved here? When I first came here, well, I was grad school down at Iowa State. Um, but before that, I grew up in northwest corner of Minnesota, stone's throw from Canada. So kind of crazy. Hence the <laughs> so accent no sometimes. stranger to Pacific Northwest weather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but where I say I generally grew up was actually Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, you know, from a, moving when I was a young kid, going to junior high and going through high school, that's really where I consider growing up to be. So your first adjustment was Minnesota to Iowa? Well, no, 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 it'd be Minnesota to Minnesota, but it was from Northwest to like the rural environment to the big city. It's a whole different language down there. (laughs) (laughs) So talk about that adjustment period, just coming from growing up in a rural area and having to adjust to city life. Yeah, it was fascinating because it's like, you know, I grew up on a farm or kind of a farm. My grandpa had a farm. And so I was always around animals and everything. But then basically, like then going down to like the big city, like, you know, everything like the world is your oyster pretty much like. And as a junior high student, you know, it was amazing going from limited availability on sports to doing whatever you wanted. Was the urban center super dense there? No, actually. <laughs> like I have no. It's funny. It's, of all the cities, I like no mental picture. Yeah, I've never, I've never been. So it's kind of fascinating because so Minneapolis and St. Paul, obviously sister cities, both of the downtown cores, uh, Minneapolis or St. Paul. Minneapolis is far more dense than St. Paul. Um, St. Paul is the more historic of the two. Minneapolis, the more cutting edge. Um, from there, you quickly fall off into suburbia. 
So when we moved down to Minneapolis-St. Paul, we lived out in the suburbs, uh, specifically southwest corner or southeast corner, sorry. Um, and it was, you know, your typical bed and breakfast with the fast food, strip malls, everywhere. Does it happen like immediately? Is it tall buildings, tall buildings, and then it's just like yes. TGI Fridays? Yeah. TGI Fridays. <laughs> Pretty much. Or Applebee's, you know. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it was very clear because the downtown cores in both of the cities are relatively compact, um, which leads to the density question as well. I mean, they are dense, but fall off quickly. As someone who's never been there, trying to relate it to Seattle, if if Seattle was one of them, like say Minneapolis, like is it is it like Seattle and Bellevue or Seattle and Tacoma or how close how close it, are the sisters? Actually <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good comparison. Um it would be similar in proximity to Seattle and Bellevue, maybe if there weren't water or yeah or if it was all river? just land. There is the river. Mississippi River cuts through. Um, both of the cities are right on the proximity of it. Um, but distance wise, it would be comparable. Maybe even Issaquah, it's a little bit further. Okay. Um, so you can't walk across. No, no. Yeah. I mean, you could <laughs> take you a little while. It sounds but. like Philly and Camden. Like you could walk across to Camden. Nobody does. That's <laughs> something that's done. Yeah, you could. <laughs> that's a courtesy I mean, sidewalk. And even like when I was there, we didn't have a light rail system except that connected from Minneapolis down to Mall of America. And then um, shortly after I left for grad school, they connected Minneapolis to St. Paul. And finally, there was that, you know, transportation link. So are the sisters friendly or is there a rivalry between the two cities? Um, a little of both, I would say, but they're also totally different and they respect each other for being different what's the alternate what's like the the dark horse personality what's the other side of the <laughs> the dark horse. i don't know like what's i'm trying to think of the way to put this question like um is there like a this is the side that everybody thinks of and then this is where all the real action happens like at seattle i feel like everybody's like space needle pike place market and then nothing actually happens near the, the, the space needle of the pike place market nothing i don't know i think maybe because i'm so close to growing up there and just my memories like I can't really think of it besides the Mall of America which if you're a you know a local you just don't really go to because you're just like oh that's tourists so it'd be kind of like Pike Place Market you know so you went from there there to Iowa yeah for okay. grad school yeah that had to be interesting yeah that was like a reverse <laughs> <laughs> um but the, the saving grace there was that Ames, where Iowa State is, was 30 miles away from Des Moines. So every weekend when Todd wasn't doing homework, I was in the city. You know, <laughs> I needed at least a couple skyscrapers. So. <laughs> so there's another city I have like very little information about. What's Des Moines like? That would be like if you took, say, St. Paul, which is like the sleepier city of the two and reduced it down by like probably 50%, you know, actually probably even more than that. Um, and it's just like, it's vacant on the weekends. It's just super quiet. Like when you're down there on the weekend, it's like literally downtown is yours. Like whatever you want to do, like it's just you walking on the street, which was kind of cool, <laughs> um, but also very bizarre. <laughs> but that also is super small downtown. And then it's just more like bed and breakfast kind of going around you know it's housing 
your single family, you know, like abutting your downtown core, your major freeway running through it. That's pretty much it. Nice. Yeah. So was it Des Moines straight to Seattle? It was not. (laughs) (laughs) So when I graduated, it was like the, the big recession that was hitting you know, the country. So actually moved back home with mom and dad and, you know, back in Minneapolis, St. Paul and, you know, looked for work and yeah, had kind of another reverse like population increase and like, okay, yep, this is more like So me. your whole life has been sitting in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you said, you set like an egg timer. Yeah. <laughs> like, oop, gotta go. <laughs> So when you moved to Seattle, uh, how how did you choose where you were going to live? Through recommendations, basically. Like, Seattle was really not on my radar to move out here. And through, you know, everybody kind of recommending and friends talking about, you know, the city in more depth, they were like, get as close as you possibly can. And I was like, well, okay. But, you know, it's like it was a sticker shock coming from the Midwest to the West coast and Mm -hmm. seeing like housing prices. I'm like, wait, what a studio is that expensive? Like I, I, and that was seven years ago. Yeah. So like, wow, extrapolate that. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, okay, sticker shock. And I ended up, um, kind of gravitating towards the central district. Uh, so right on South Jackson and 17th, I kind of made home and, kind of fell in love with the city and, you know, kind of grew from there. And, you know, it's like, I don't look back, but yeah, it was basically recommendations and then just kind of forcing myself to get into the city, explore and find that right neighborhood for me. So from the central, how did you end up? I have my, my background information here. I know that you lived in Kent. So how did you end up from central to Kent? (laughs) Tell us that story. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had to go, the egg timer, had yeah. to go rural. Um, <laughs> no, it's like after just being here for six months, um, I started to get this idea of just buying a house. And I was like, hmm, why am I renting and paying what I'm paying in rent when I could buy a house and kind of seize the opportunity of everything being really low? And so I kind of started my journey of looking for housing in the city and even at that time you know and my current conditions it was like everything that i was seeing in the city was like a big fixer-upper and just you know knowing my own abilities and the availability of being a young architect i was like "Um, i don't have time for a fixer-upper so that kind of forced me to start looking further out than what i expected that ultimately led me to Kent. <laughs> was that, when when you moved there, was light rail already available? Light rail was not available. Yeah, so yeah. you were doing a car commute And even still, it's not quite there yet. It's close. It's close. You can get to the airport, but, and I, actually one more stop past the airport now, but soon. <laughs> so some of, and some of this question might seem obvious, but I'm curious, like, how was it different from living in a central district? Well, so Central District, I literally wouldn't even drive my car, like unless I wanted like the, or I had the urge to just get out of the city, which actually did happen where I was just like, OK, I'm going a little crazy. Like I need some greenery or I want to go hiking. Then I would drive out of the city. But when I was in the city, it was walking everywhere or, you know, busing or whatever it was. It was just some sort of transportation besides my car. And then going out to Kent, it was like, oh, 
I'm back into the car a lot more frequently. Like I have to have the car for groceries. I have to have the car to get back into the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're kind of, you kind of like driving like me. So it's not, it couldn't, it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah. And you know, being from the Midwest, I mean, like it was not uncommon to drive an hour to get wherever you needed to be. Right. So I feel like people, I wonder if people who grew up in the suburbs or in rural areas are just more likely to feel comfortable in the suburbs because of driving. Like everybody I know who has a car and only ever lived really in cities, I just can't wait to get rid of their car. Oh, I don't want my car at all. I hate driving. (laughs) And uh, exactly. I mean, I I mean, it's fine. Like it it would be, I like the concept of like driving in the sense of like a car commercial, like driving for like <laughs> on some cool roads through some, you know, you, yeah. across the like <laughs> driving really fast and doing cool moves or whatever. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But having to just like do the driving slog, I'm not into yeah. that. Like, like the stop and go. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. You know, or in having to, yeah, I just, you know, if I didn't have to drive around town, I just, I never would. I never would. So you car commuted for a while. No, actually. Oh, no, you worked e- out there. Even? No. No, I, I, was, I was good. I was just chilling, <laughs> just sitting back, drinking lemonade, waiting for the world to come to me. Todd walked. Yeah. He walked from Kent <laughs> right. in the morning. Well, not, wa- not walked, but I did actually bicycle into work a what? lot. Yeah. So it was like 26 miles one way um, as like, you know, kind of the bike road. You know, it was more than a more than a marathon. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. So did that on, I shouldn't say on occasion, but especially bike month, like in May, like that was kind of the intense month where I think I ended up putting like 600 and some miles on in a month. So it's pretty good. But I was actually one of the, you know good like i'm gonna stick to public transit and you know explore those and so i actually ended up taking the sounder train almost every day to and from work and then i would you know bus or walk to like fill in those gaps where i couldn't get it's funny uh i live you know at the southern tip of central and occasionally i'll have to drive practically all the way down to kent to go to like any of the really big box like if i need to go to best buy that's the closest one or if i need any store like that and just that route back and forth on rainier has changed so drastically since i've been here which isn't that long and you were taking the train at least for the last stretch when you lived at kent and you must have been watching that evolution happen also yeah so how did it when you first moved to Kent, what did you see versus the last few weeks before you left? What did you see when you looked out that window? Well, basically, I mean, like you just saw a neighborhood start to develop and change. I mean, it was just like you would be cruising by and you're seeing stuff and like single family, you know, like buildings around. All of a sudden the next day, those are gone and you see all this concrete coming up really like, Whoa, what's going on? Was it on a dime like that? Was it just yeah. like one, you just look down one week and you're like, oh, great book. And then you look up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it seemed like it. I'm sure it wasn't. But, you know, you get in your daily slog and you're just like, yeah. oh, when did that disappear? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. So it was very it seemed very abrupt. Um, and even in Kent itself, like just driving around or like, you know, biking around, like the landscape was changing drastically, like there was more density starting to go in around the like little core of Kent. And then it's like, um, you're seeing all this like new multifamily stuff and 
um, just restaurants and all this exciting stuff coming in. You're like, wait, this this city's changed drastically just from when I came here. So it's exciting. You know, it reminded me of a big difference between the difference between what you see, the gradient between the city and the suburbs here in the Pacific Northwest versus what I saw on the East Coast. In the East Coast, everything was mega developed and sprawled in the 50s and 60s. And the urban centers in between never happened, even with the public transit stations as they popped up because they popped up in the 60s and 70s the zoning never really changed it's just like the middle of a residential neighborhood and a, a train station there was never a giant dense apartment building next to it uh, and east coasters exaggerate a lot about the density between the cities but certainly between philly and baltimore for instance you never really leave a population center there's always neighborhoods the whole way down the highway and so it's sort of a plateau of density uh, whereas here because light ray stations are being built now in relatively undeveloped areas, you're getting density first and no gradient. And I wonder what the implications are going to be because of that. And then ironically, uh, a whole aside, we have all of this non-density in the city center. It's like completely the opposite of the way things evolved on the East Coast. And I'm so curious as to, like, you left Kent recently. So what were the last, like, your last couple images of Kent and how it was evolving? What did you see right before you came back? Well, besides, like, developing in and around, like, the transit hub there, there was a few um, buildings going up outside of that core, but they were a little bit closer towards where you would get on for um, I-5 or, you know, some easy access for commuting via car. Mm -hmm. um, it changed, you know, again, drastically, but there it was slower. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was a little bit more thought out because there, you know, there wasn't the the light rail that was necessarily servicing that exact spot. Um, but instead, you know, you have the sounder, which was great for Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. That's it. But leaving there, you know, it's kind of like I, I felt like I was coming back to the party of the city. I'm like, all right, I'm back, you know. And now it's like it's kind of interesting watching friends like do what I did seven years ago and buy property out in the suburbs. And I'm like, hey, guys, I, I just arrived here. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. <laughs> and that's one of the unique things and kind of how the subject of this show evolved is that you've seen in reverse what most people our age, all relatively the same age bracket, are seeing in the other direction. And so I thought it was unique that you chose to do it in the way you did. So what when you were having the conversation in your head and thinking about because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you thought about selling your place first and then where you were going to move. Mm -hmm. uh, was, that, was that right? Yep. So you were, you were simultaneously thinking about buying out there versus buying here. Mm -hmm. how, did, how did that conversation in your head go? <laughs> well, just like that. It was like, <laughs> well. No, but I mean, what were the, you know, what were you weighing? What were the pros? What were the cons of staying out there? What were the things that drew you in? So I think for me, like the, the biggest um, challenge of living out in the suburbs at least here was commuting, you know, like just the, the daily grind started to wear on you. And after doing it for as long as I did, I was like, you know, I kind of want to reclaim some of that time each day for myself. And, you know, it was kind of changing my own perspective a little bit on like what I need or want. And then ultimately it was like, okay, no, I, I have to be in the city. 
and it's like where in the city i was open to it and you know just as things kind of came to be it was like well look at that capitol hill all right hey i work on capitol hill wait i can walk to work i was like oh okay (laughs) i think that's a or i think that's a calculus that a lot of people our age are going through because you know we we are rethinking the idea of of what we want. I mean, I've 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 always been a city dweller, but I I've had conversations lately with people that are coming to terms with the idea of how much space do they really need and or how does that balance out in the equation of well, sure it'd be great if we had more space, but I'm not going to give that up for having to commute far away from where I want to hang out. Like, sure, it would be great if I had more, uh, just a tiny bit more living space, maybe where we're at, that'd be awesome. But I'm not going to trade that for going further away, right? Like, I, my perspective on my quality of life, which is a personal thing, and, and you know, other people feel differently. But for for me, I, I value being in the thick of it. I, I like being able to not drive my car and... Mm-hmm. Just out of the blue, be like, okay, whatever. I'll get dressed, and I will go outside, and <laughs> and then like, day, yeah, like okay, okay, I have to get Fine. dressed. <laughs> Fine. But then when I go outside, everything is right there. You know, I, I can go to the grocery store. I can go to any number of bars and restaurants. I I cannot walk to work from where I live, but you know, a lot of people around me do walk to their works. It's just that you know, living in Ballard and Capitol Hill, you don't really you don't really walk. Between there and here, it'd be a little bit of a walk. But you know, like conceivably, like if I were really ambitious, I guess I could ride a bike. But it's not my thing. But I think I think that's the thing that a lot of us are thinking about: is is what do we value more? Do we value space more, or do we value our time and our access to the city? You know, this brings up an interesting irony, in that you know nobody in this room has kids. So a lot of people who have kids and want to have room for kids and a school for the kids. Not that Seattle schools aren't great, but the property value is crazy. And having kids means you have less money, not more, no, kind of no matter how much you make. And less so, room. <laughs> right. <laughs> and less room and sanity. And so, uh, you know, because of their, they've chosen a lifestyle that needs to be further out for one reason or another. However, it doesn't seem like people's values, especially in a certain age bracket, are changing along with their ambitions as far as life. And so people are hyper magnetized to the city center. And there's this gravity that they get too far away from the city center and that's it. That's as far away as they can stand to be. Mm-hmm. And so this is where this, the irony of Seattle, uh, the Seattle density thing is so fascinating to me because there's so much single family in the city. So you might get this. I wish I could. I wish this was a video for a second because there's this like parabolic curve. It's like there's all this density and then there's really not. And then there's this zone, this belt almost around the city or almost I guess more. It's more like boundaries of the north and south where there are these people that are the that are moving and they have kids, but they still have all of their urban values. They don't want to drive They don't mind sacrificing space for lifestyle. They want to be able to walk to everything. And I wonder if we're going to get these weirdo bands of city, weirdo (laughs) bands of density. And if they're going to be like, that's more Seattle. 
or if that's going to be a new community and somebody's going to call it something else. And I'm just so fascinated by this. And I, I keep thinking back even to New York City and how Brooklyn was a, it was a whole separate city. And they were like, oh, damn, you came all the way from Manhattan? You're like, Oof, are you exhausted or what? And like right now, that's how we think of, I don't know, Linwood or yeah. Shore, Shoreline or yeah. Kent. Mm-hmm. And how crazy that would be if we had that, like, if the dip, the non-density dip was Magnolia or Leshy. <laughs> and then right across the water, it was just like, oh. I still think there's yeah. some people, though, like, even in, in the building that I live in, which the, the biggest units in there do have two bedrooms. But as far as I know, there, like, there are a lot of children. In, there's children in the building. But I, 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 most of those two-bedroom units are not the ones that have the children in them because those are the people that are, you know, retired and can afford to buy a two bedroom condo or something, right. you know, and they're downsizing from their house or whatever. But there there are condos in my building that are the same size as the one that we live in that have there's a family with three kids in there. I think more and more that is happening and and you know people from other countries would look at us like we're insane. Our concept of of what is dense, like what is the number of people that would be normal to have in a, an apartment in the city is very different. And so I'm I see those families and there's three of them and like one is still just like an this particular family I'm thinking of is like an infant in arms and then there's a two year old and some I'm not good at kids' ages, but like I don't know, bigger than a two year old. It's walking around. <laughs> Those are the only two real ages there are. Yeah. Smaller than a two-year-old, like, bigger than a two-year-old. Not walking, <laughs> That's it. walking, and then like bigger than the first walking one. <laughs> and two parents, all in this. It's like you're at the zoo and you're talking about the animals. <laughs> <laughs> They're a really cute family, but so like I'm, I haven't seen inside their place, but I imagine that they just they've designed. There's a way that we can, as designers, design spaces to be more efficient, and you can. I think you can have an awesome quality of life with all those kids in a tiny little apartment. I I think that you don't have to think of the space that you inhabit as only your walls, right? They don't spend 24 hours a day in that apartment. They're always, I always see them leaving and going out to the parks and walking around Ballard and they're just, you know, they don't, they have a healthy concept of the fact that their home environment is bigger than the walls of their dwelling unit, right? They, they, they've ventured out and, and incorporated some of that neighborhood into their own house, right? Which is awesome. And I think that's some of how we're going to start to balance these density issues and these crowding issues. As a designer, I get super excited. Like this crash of values is, in my opinion, wonderful. I think it's a little, from just purely design perspective, it's lazy to just be like, oh, I need more space because I have another kid. It makes sense. It's like I have another child. It needs space. Like we need space for it or it will destroy everything I know and love. But uh, if if your values are I really want to be near a city center and around a lot of people, that means less space for your kid. But as a designer, that means we get to help you do more with the space you have. And it means that as a community, we're all going to value space more. And we're going to look to try to use every square inch. And especially specializing in interiors, it's just like, yes, like this is so exciting. When I was, uh, when I was in college, there was just this divide. It's like in Europe, they really value space. In America, we just don't. And that's just the way it's always going to be. (laughs) And that's changed drastically, especially in the Pacific Northwest and especially recently. Um, And especially for a 
uh, city and community that's so focused on the outdoors ha- is looking inside for the first time and being like, I think my little area needs some work. I need, like, this is as big as it's going to get. Like, I can't just go to Shoreline. Like, I could stay here and do something with this space. And I find that super exciting. It's very true. And I think it's compounded as well just because we have Puget Sound to the west. We have, like, Washington to the east. Our only mode of growth is north-south, really. Um, if you just think about Seattle proper and it like that adds a l- another layer of complexity to our density issue. Density equals design. It might be bad design. <laughs> it might be good design, yeah. but there's no other way to make it happen. So if you want it, you need to design it. You can't just let it happen haphazardly. Right. Sprawl is the lazy solution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm okay. I could I can stand behind that. I don't you know I there's there's a way to solve all of this and it and it just requires us putting some thought into it and it just it it makes me sad when I leave Seattle and I am driving out you know to go visit some beautiful something somewhere out in the wilderness and the wilderness starts way later than the last time that I went out there. It doesn't have to be that way. No, and I think especially south of the city, it won't. Mostly because, the kind of what I was saying before, because the stations are being built now, it's being planned intelligently. It's scary to see a big building pop up in an area where it didn't, but a big building popping up near the city means stuff isn't tearing trees down closer to our parks. Right. And I don't, that's not as visible. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, that huge you know, 150 unit apartment building on Mercer Island or near Kent is literally saving the forest. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> a good little marketing tagline for their right? new development. Yeah. Saving the forest by building high. So again, if you work in the Toll Brothers, you <laughs> save this. <laughs> you know, this, this reminds me of a, a little, it's not directly related but it's a an anecdote i remember one of our coworkers saying they have some friends that um i could get the details wrong a little bit here but that they have some friends that live in la and are considering moving up to seattle and we're looking around and considering moving to linwood and <laughs> our coworkers were like well why are you going to move like we're going to see you less if you live in some suburb of seattle like that than when you live in LA because it almost takes the same amount of time. You You know, like you can get on a plane and go to LA and and go see them and hang out there. But if you're going to say that, like the like it's easier to fly to to LA and visit somebody there there. than to spend the same amount of time in a car. But if there's a quick light rail station there, you'll see them all the time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, so that's like a really good point. The key to the type, it's all about type of public transportation. transportation. Uh, every time I see like a, a YouTube video of Elon Musk's Hyperloop, I can't help but think like you're gonna you could live like you could work in Seattle and just live in Boise or Jackson Hole and just take the Hyperloop into work, and that's it's true. like it'll change the whole game. Like whatever, we'll be dead and gone by the time that thing's built but like how connected uh this evolution of the suburbs is to public transportation the 50s it was built because cars were cheap easy to use roads existed all of a sudden boom 1950s neighborhoods so like can you imagine so we're in the light rail era through the end of it which is ironic considering we're just building ours now in seattle but then there's that next jump 
And that'll be, I feel like, the next time we really see suburban neighborhoods evolve. Like also autonomous driving. How is that going to change it? Mm -hmm. I cannot wait. (laughs) I am ready for a robot to drive me wherever I want to go right now. I'm ready to pass all the people who are letting the robots drive. (laughs) (laughs) And I will toast you in the back of my car. I'll be like, hi, I'm raising my martini to you, Charles. Well, you can't have this, but cheers. (laughs) Another mode of transportation is just key, right? It's just like, yes, we're finally getting it. You know, this is great. And I think that's how most suburbs kind of react. Um, and Kent's is a little bit interesting because it's actually following Highway 99. So it's actually not even going to be serving like um, more like Kent proper and like where the major mode of transportation is for connection, connecting, mm-hmm. um, which will be interesting to see how it's utilized. Um, I think it's still going to be great because it's going to be connecting up to the college and, you know, everybody would just wants to get around. So. And then the plan is to eventually go all the way down to Tacoma with it. So, but personally, I couldn't imagine riding a light rail from Tacoma all the way up to Seattle just because of the frequency of stops. It's like it's faster than being stuck on I-5, but it's still pretty slow. But still, I feel like it's the most egalitarian thing in general. Public transportation, it's access, right? And it's just, uh, uh, D.C. was coming to mind in Georgetown when they first built the D.C. Metro. Like, Georgetown made sure there was going to be no metro station in Georgetown because they didn't want the riffraff coming to Georgetown. And now in the modern day, they're begging for it because mm-hmm. businesses can't stay open because there's no traffic because nobody can get to Georgetown or back from there. <laughs> and at the time they thought they were keeping Georgetown special and elite. And it's so ironic that now they're just like, please, please, please build us. Transportation. <laughs> we were so stupid. And, um, you know, I feel like I get it. Like progress is scary, but, uh, Yes. <laughs> just it's the invisible wonderful consequences mm-hmm. and i wish they were louder it, it's kind of like that if you build it they will come mm-hmm. kind of mentality and it's like now it'll be used and you'll see it just grow from there yeah. i think the the problem arises is that some people interpret that statement of they if you build it, they will come. They're like, oh, no, but we don't want them to come. You know, that's whereas, true. Yeah, whereas yeah. they're missing well, they go, the entire they go, point. Who? Yeah, but who's going to yeah. come? You know, we but, want the right people. To well, come. no one is going to come and support your businesses if you yeah. don't have a no, way. The answer doesn't matter. Like you are a resident is your community. Take care of it. Talk to your neighbors. Be a community. More eyes are better in general from safety, security, economically. Yeah. It's better to have more people and however you treat your neighborhood is how everyone else will treat your neighborhood. And I don't think any one person, like just because you might be a person that just really loves driving your car everywhere you go and you, that's what you feel right now. You know, these are huge infrastructure projects that take decades to get off the ground and get the, in many decades to get the full network up and operational. Can you confidently say that in 20 years when maybe you're you know, in your 70s, do you really do you really want to keep driving everywhere? Or by that time, are you going to be wishing that you could get on some public transportation that is this new and operational system? I just I think it's kind of short sighted for those neighborhoods to think that they don't want some of this transportation. I'm going to die of natural causes in my driver's seat. <laughs> <laughs> so count me out. <laughs> 
but that's just me. I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Todd. It was a yeah, lot of fun. Thank, thank you. you for sharing your your city to suburbs adventure. If the egg timer goes off again. Let us know. We'll do another one. Yeah, we'll talk then, about then it. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know. Like, you know, Eastern Washington was just calling me. I needed to be in the mountains. Um, so, and thank you for listening. Our, our next night school event is coming up on Wednesday, November 15th. Please keep a lookout for that. It'll be held here at Board and Vellum on 15th Avenue in Capitol Hill. As always, please stop by anytime and chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in two weeks.